What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about branding, personal branding, especially as it relates to getting onto podcasts or creating online content to help people just become aware of the games that you're working on, but really more than that, to be aware of you as a designer or as a publisher, as a Kickstarter creator, whatever kind of avenue you're traveling down as far as games are concerned, just to help people become aware of who you are and what you're doing. And on the front half of this, I'm just going to be explaining kind of a lot of the why and some stories and some encouragement for you. And then in the second half, I'm going to be talking to a friend of mine named Justin, who is a professional audio engineer. He sets up other people's podcasts and mixes things and makes them sound as good as possible. And we're going to talk a lot about the technical side of things, because that's in a lot of ways just as important as the, the actual meat of the thing. If, if, if it doesn't sound good, then it doesn't matter what you're saying. People don't want to listen to it. And so we're going to talk about that aspect of things. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. All right, so let's talk about why it can be valuable to show up on podcasts and in YouTube video interviews and things along those lines. And it really comes down to awareness, right? People probably don't know who you are. And so the more you show up in these different places, the more likely people are to become aware of who you are as a designer or the company that you're starting or running or the Kickstarter or GameFound campaign that you have coming up or, or live at the moment. And it's really just about showing up because we live in a time where attention is such a difficult thing to get out of anybody, right? We're you're not only competing against other games in the marketplace, you're also also competing against video games, you're competing against Netflix, you're competing against YouTube and just all the zillion other things that are constantly pulling our attention here in modern life. And so the more often you can show up and just kind of be out there in the zeitgeist, like people don't even have to listen to the episode that you're on, but as long as your name is in the title and as long as people are seeing it pop up in different places on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, that's just one more touch point and whatever you're working on, they're more likely to click and find out about the project or just find out about you. And so it kind of goes back to the old cliche that people need to see, I think it's seven times, they need to see it seven times before they'll make a decision or buy a product. And so it's just touch points and just trying to show up as often as possible. And so let's just talk about some best practices for this. Obviously, I've been running this podcast for a while, uh, ever since 2016. I've done over 300 episodes at this point. But then I've also showed up on a bunch of other people's podcasts. And typically, that's that's them reaching out to me. Uh, I've had several people who wanted to start a show, and then they got their start into podcasts listening through this show or, or something similar. And so then they have invited me on to be 
a, a first guest or one of the first guests, which is always an incredible honor. And so I've been able to see both angles, see both sides of things and things that, that I think I do pretty well and things that I know that I could Im- improve upon. And I just want to share some things with you. The first thing is just ask. If there's a show you want to be on, just reach out to the person that hosts it or the company that's in charge of it and just say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I think would be an interesting topic. This is my credibility. This is my knowledge. I'm an expert on this particular subject. Here's my body of work. Here's some evidence. Here's some other shows I've been on. But just reach out to them directly. But use their specific name. It is so annoying when someone sends me an email, especially through the contact form on my website, where, okay, I know you had all the information right there at your fingertips. And they say, hey there, or hey friend, or hey board game design lab team. Team? What team? It, the team is me. So I don't know what you're talking about. And all you have to do is go on the about page and just see, there's my name. Like, even if you don't listen to the show, that's fine. No worries there. But at least address me by name because what you're telling me is you just shotgun blasted a whole bunch of emails out to a whole bunch of different shows and you're just going to hope that something comes back. And when you're doing that, it's so vague. It's so kind of broad and generic that it doesn't exactly get me excited about you as a guest. And a lot of times too, when people do that, they're only selling something. It's only, hey, I've got a Kickstarter campaign coming up. I, I want to be on your show so I can tell people about it and get them to buy it. It's like, this is not QVC. Like, this is not HSN. This is not a place like where you just come sell stuff. And, and I've had companies reach out and say, hey, this is who we are. This is the services that we provide or the types of products we provide. We think it could be really helpful to game designers. And I'm like, sure, that sounds cool. Let's, uh, let's chat about that. But it turns into them just wanting to talk about their product. And... I've had to tell people no. Like they've reached out and said, hey, we want to do this thing. And I'll come back with them like, hey, well, let's make the the topic in general a little more generic. So it's not just, you know, an an advertisement for your your company. And they've said, no, we just want to focus on what we do. It's like, this is not an infomercial. Like, I don't care what your product or or business is is, as it relates to the context of this show. The only thing that matters are the listeners. What you're selling doesn't really matter. It's not even me that matters really or what I like or what I think about this, that, and the other as it relates to me. It's as it relates to y'all, the listeners, the BGDL community. That's always at the forefront of my mind. How can I serve you best and bring on a guest that's just going to try to sell you something or me sitting down and trying to espouse my own personal this or that, trying to get you to think what I think or believe what I believe. Like, that's not what I'm interested in. In. I'm just trying to give you information. I'm trying to give you data. I'm trying to give you interesting stories and anecdotes and encouragement about particular topics. And then you decide, then you figure it out for yourself, right? There are plenty of shows out there that delve into politics and culture and all sorts of things that will gladly tell you what you should think, what you should believe. But that's not the context of the show. And so when a guest says, hey, I want to sell a product, it's like, go somewhere else, right? And so if you're trying to get on to somebody's show, be aware of that. Like, reach out to them with your pitch. And that's really what you're doing. You're sending them a message or an email and you're pitching you as a guest or you as a guest with a certain idea for a topic. But you have to think through who are their listeners? What is their target audience? And how do I bring value to them? Because that's exactly, hopefully, what they're going to be thinking and what they're going to be trying to to process when it comes to them deciding, is this a good fit for my show. And so when you reach out to them, have that in there, have some specific ideas in that, because one that tells you you respect my show, you respect my listeners or whoever, you know, whichever show you're reaching out to, but then also have some specifics about what, what do you like? So you reach out 
if you reach out to Tim Ferriss, right, about coming on to his show, and I think we actually had a board game company not too long ago. I think the creator of, of Exploding Kittens was on the Tim Ferriss show, if I'm not mistaken, which is phenomenal. What a massive opportunity that was. But if you're going to reach out to Tim, you probably want to show that you actually know who he is, that you know about his show. And it's really good to mention a certain guest, a certain topic, and say, hey, you know, I really appreciated when, you know, if, it was, if you were going to reach out to me, really enjoyed the Rob Davio episode. And I really uh, got excited about when you guys were talking about playtesting because uh, you, you ran into a similar situation that I've run into in the past. And, and his advice and his wisdom really helped me overcome my own design challenges with my own playtesting sessions. Oh, OK, cool. Now it seems like you're a listener. Seems like you're part of the community. And whether you are or not, like that's not really what matters. What matters is, oh, you took the time to figure out how to talk to me personally, and that makes me much more likely to want to talk to you personally. All right, so when you're reaching out, you address them by name, you, you speak on something that you've enjoyed or you like about the show, then get into the meat of what you want to talk about, right? Don't just say, hey, I want to be on the show. Like, okay, but, but why? Like, what do you want to talk about? What? Like, it, it helps, especially someone like me, that I focus on a specific topic for each episode, then give me some topics. Give me some ideas about things that you're an authority on, you're an expert on. But even if you're reaching out to a show that does a lot of gen, you know general kind of stuff, and you know it's going to be like a two-hour experience, you're going to hit on everything from your, your childhood all the way up to what you're doing now, but still you want to give, out, give some bullet points of ideas. Hey, this is what I experienced when I was growing up. Um, you know, this is what I've done in business. You know, I made half a million dollars last year. Um, I grew up in a single wide trailer and, and with broken home, like, but then I've turned it into this, like give some like bullets. Don't just expect this person to know anything about you at all. Even if you're somebody, like, even if you're famous, like just assume that they have no idea. And it also, it'll also help you kind of prioritize what are the things that matter most that you want to talk about? You can even like put some little, uh, like the, the openings to a store or something like that. You know, I can talk, well, I can talk about the time that I was running a playtest session, uh, and, and a hurricane, well, you know, kind of came, well, hurricanes don't come out of nowhere. No, a tornado, a tornado came out of nowhere. And uh, we had to do this, that, and the other. And it totally, um, you know, messed up the, the game night, but I got some really interesting results from the playtesters. And we had this like really cool bond and they were always my core playtesting group. And they, we always came back together after that kind of traumatizing experience experience because we were, you know, we'd grown closer together as gamers. I don't know. I'm making all this up, but you're at least giving an idea. Oh, that's a cool idea. Oh yeah. We could talk about that because as a podcaster, you're constantly thinking about how am I going to fill the time? You know, this show runs, I don't know, 45 to 55 minutes on average, give or take. And so I'm always thinking about with a topic or a guest, how am I going to fill that full time? And there are plenty of times where someone says, Hey, you know, Hey, I want to talk about a, a certain topic. And it's like, ah, that's a, that's a solid 17 minute conversation. Like, I don't know that we're going to get enough interesting data, interesting information and stories to make that a full length show. Let's talk about something else. And maybe we can kind of hit on that topic. Maybe we talk about something broader, more general, and then we kind of swing by that particular specific thing. And then we can talk, that's our 17 minutes, but then we need, you know, 40 minutes somewhere else. Uh, and so that's just something to be thinking about. But again, in your pitch, you're reaching out and you're, you're saying these things. You're not just saying, Hey, I want to be on your show. Like, can you help me out? <laughs> I got stuff to do. Like I've got, you know, I got 300 emails today and I'm trying to get through them pretty quick. And so, uh, you know, anything that helps that podcast host figure out who you are and why you should be on their show. Now, as part of that pitch, the host is aware that you're probably not only doing this for, you know, for altruism or because you just want to give back to the community. Like you've probably have something that you want to sell. You have something you want to promote. Totally understandable. Totally fine. Like we want you to do that. Everybody wins in this case as a podcast host. I have content that I can put out uh, as, as listeners you have content that you can receive and hopefully find value in. And then the guest, 
hopefully, you know, gets an opportunity to share their story, share what they're doing, but then also maybe make some sales or get some crowdfunding backers or something like that. Like everybody wins in this scenario and we kind of all understand what's going on. And so be totally upfront about, Hey, I've got a Kickstarter campaign coming up. Got a you know, game that's going to be on GameFound, whatever it is. Got a, a game that's going into retail. And I would love it if we could, you know, air the episode during the campaign or right as the pledge manager opens or something like that to get more people there, you know, more potential backers, totally fine. And typically the host will do like I do. And they'll give you a chance there, especially towards the end of the episode to say, Hey, here's my thing. Here's a quick two minute elevator pitch for it. If it sounds like something you'd be interested in, here's where you can find it. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter and all the handles and all that kind of thing. That's totally fine. That's that's part of it. And if you really believe that your product is worth buying, that it's going to make people's lives better in some way, even if it's just entertainment and make their lives a little bit happier and a little bit more fun, then promote it. Like, don't feel like you're a used car sales salesman in this case. Like, it's not sleazy. It's not kind of grimy or gross. It's, it's normal. And if you think the thing is good, then you would be wrong to not tell people about it. Right. If you really believe that your game is going to make somebody's day better, it's going to bring their gaming group or their family together around a table to have some fun. You really, truly believe that. Then if you don't tell people about it, that's wrong. That is a wrong thing to do. And, and that's something that helped me kind of get over that aversion to wanting to promote myself or my games is to realize, no, no, this is something good. That's fun that I believe in. I have to tell people about it because if I don't, it kind of make me a bad person. Another thing is to have a place online, like have a website or, or something where you have a bio, something where, where a podcast host can really just go copy paste if they're going to put it into their show notes, or they can use that bio as your introduction you know, before the episode gets going, but also a place where you can have some headshots. You can have some pictures that people can use for the, the images that are you know, going to go up on their website or, or things like that. I can't tell you how many times I've had a guest come on the show and then, you know, I send them a message like, hey, make sure you email me a, a picture of you so I can put it on the website. And then they just never do. And so eventually I have to go on Google and just find an image I hope works. And it's never the right size. And, the, the, you know, it's too wide. It's a rectangle. And I'm going to do some editing. It's just, it's just annoying. Just make my life easier. Make podcast hosts' lives easier. When you provide that, just send them a message or send them an email with some pictures, you know, multiple would be nice to have some different size options. Cause not everybody is the same or just have a place online. And as a game designer, you probably should do that anyway, because if a publisher is thinking about working with you, if you can send them to your own personal page and doesn't have to be anything crazy. I mean, just a one page website with you and your bio and a big picture of you holding a game and some different things you're working on, maybe some links to BGG, uh, pages with the games you've worked on in the past or, or linked to something that kind of shows prototypes in action, just anything, right? But it just makes things so much easier to have that information and to not have to constantly send you emails. Hey, don't forget. Hey, hey, I need to, you to send this thing. It's just, it's just easier. All right. So that was some of the best practices of things that I have learned and picked up over the years from podcasting and for, from guesting on podcasts. But then probably the main Part of all this is the sound, the sound quality, the type of microphone you're using, the room that you are recording in. And so I reached out to my friend, Justin Crail, who is a professional audio engineer. And I was just asking his advice, his ideas, his thoughts and opinions on which microphones work best. How do you do all the different things that go into making the best possible audio that you can for these situations. And one thing you might notice is that the microphone I am using right now is actually different from the one that I used when I initially interviewed Justin, because out of that interview, after that interview, I was really thinking through, okay, I need to get better. The microphone I was using was a good mic, not, you know, not a cheap microphone or anything, but it was a shotgun mic. It was on a boom arm 
and it was fine, but it was really just not as good as it could be. And so hopefully you'll, you'll notice the quality right now is better than the quality that is coming up during that interview. And that's just another thing to always keep in mind. There's always something to learn. There's always something to figure out and, you know, different things that, that you can do to get better and to never feel like you figured it out, you've arrived. There's always ways to improve. But anyway, I hope you found this information useful and I hope you'll find the opportunity to reach out to podcasts and people who run YouTube channels and do any kind of interviews and anything that involves bringing on designers or publishers or creators and just put yourself out there. I know it can be a little bit scary. I know it can be seem kind of challenging, but it's like anything else. The more you do it, the better you get and it'll actually help you in other avenues as well because you know if you're gonna demo games at a convention and things like that like you got to get out of your shell and so just sitting down and talking to somebody who's probably a complete stranger will help you do that and help you grow overall but anyway justin and i will now talk to you about sound quality So, Justin, you are a professional audio engineer, 10 years of experience, and so really excited just to ask questions about mic setup and sound treatments and all the things that go along with, you know, being on a podcast, being a good guest from a sound standpoint, because I feel like there's one thing to be a good guest as an interviewee, you know, and answering questions and being charismatic, that's, that's one side. But if it doesn't sound any good, then it doesn't matter. You can have the coolest stories, the best information, but if nobody wants to listen to it because it sucks, like from a sound standpoint, then you're kind of wasting your time. And so as a professional, as a guy that's been doing this for a long time, worked with bands and companies and setting up professional podcasts and things like that, I'm just curious about like, as a beginner, what are some of the things that people need to be thinking about? Not going out and spending 10 grand on microphones and booms and all this stuff, but just getting started, sim simple, easy, making it work. Let's start off with microphones. What would be your top recommendation? Like what's the price range? You know, do I got to go out and spend a hundred bucks? Can I do it for 50, 45? What's your, what's your, what are your thoughts? Great question. And you bring up some good points right off the bat. One is you don't have to complicate this. You, you should be trying to simplify this process as much as possible. And two, you don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on gear to get a good, a good sound. Um, what I would recommend for a microphone is actually this microphone right here. This microphone is called the Samson Q2U. You can get it on Amazon all day long for under $60. And what I like about this microphone is that it makes things simple. It, it sounds good, right? It, is it the best sounding mic in the world? No, but you don't need the best sounding mic in the world. You just need something that sounds decent, sounds pretty good. And most importantly for me, reduces all the friction, right? So the way that this microphone reduces all the friction for me is that it's a USB microphone. So the way that I have this working here, I don't have a whole ton of gear behind me. I don't have all knobs and faders that I have to make precise before I start speaking into it. I literally take the USB cable that comes with the microphone and I plug it into my laptop. And then when I get on a Zoom call or what have you, I just select the microphone. It comes up, you don't need to install anything. It just comes up, I turn it on, and then I'm done. And I just start talking. Yeah, that's a great point in reducing friction. Make it easy, have it set up already. I see that you have it on, is it a microphone, like a, a music yeah. stand or a boom yeah, arm? It's just, a little, it's just a little boom stand here. Just a, you know, a, reg, a pretty simple boom stand. You get one from Amazon. 
for like, you know, maybe 20 bucks or something like that. You don't have to go fancy and get the Joe Rogan boom arm or anything like that. You can if you want to, but you can simply, you know, just do something simple like a classic uh, boom microphone stand. Also, this microphone is a bundle as well. So not only do you get the microphone and you get the uh, USB cable with it, you also get a tabletop stand, like a little tripod. So if you were just sitting in front of a desk, you, you wouldn't even have to buy a stand. You just buy this package and everything comes with it. The other cool thing about this microphone, it's uh, it's also an XLR mic, which is a bit more of a traditional uh, connection for a microphone. So if you wanted to put this into an interface or a mixer or something like that, you can. So it's also uh, a really versatile mic as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you wanted to kind of go a little more professional, if you wanted to get more advanced with that microphone, you could. One limitation of USB mics in general is that you typically can only run one mic at a time. You can only plug one mic into most laptops today don't come with more than one USB slot. And if they do, sometimes you have a little bit of trouble getting it connected and making sure it sees both mics. It, it's kind of a headache. It, it, that's not the convenience aspect of a USB mic setting up multiple. But if you had a podcast where you had you know, two people, three people, four people in a room, you can buy as many of these as you need and connect them via XLR cable. The, car, the cable comes with the package and put it into whatever interface or mixer you have. And then you're off to the races recording uh, a podcast that has two, three, four people all in the same room. Awesome. So this is a good mic, both for web examples, like we're doing right now, just talking over the internet. But then also if you're in the same room, you got multiple people sitting on the couch or, or whatever. That's, that's awesome. I'm actually using a shotgun mic from Rode. And in the video, you can kind of see it's it's above me here. And I always kind of keep it just out of shot. And so uh, that's what I use. It works pretty well, um, mainly because that's what I already had for video. And I didn't want to go out and, and buy another uh, microphone and have it, have it set up, you know, because I, I, I think it looks cool in podcasts, like to have the microphone be able to move it around. You have this visual that's very different. I think that's another thing for people to realize, like there's a different expectation in podcasting, even video podcasts that the microphone can be in the shot, it's not It's not that big a deal. It's not kind of like the old school mentality of, oh, that looks unprofessional. It's like, no, that's, that's pretty normal at this point. Right. You, you wouldn't put on CNN or, or whatever your news outlet and see this, right? You would see kind of more more, more so what your setup is. And, and what you just said, that boom mic, that kind of shotgun condenser mic on a stand, kind of just slightly out of camera is precisely what you would see in a more traditional setup. But with podcasting, I mean, you know, it's all about the audio. Um, so to have a, you know, when, when podcasts kind of move to video to have that, that, that microphone in the shot is just kind of like, um, you know, just part of how things are, right. There's nothing wrong with it. Let's talk about headphones. I use AirPods. I like the wireless nature of it for years and years. I had wired Bose headphones that plugged right in to my laptop that worked really, really well. What are your thoughts? You know, I see some people, they've got the big earphone, you know, that covers their entire head. Like there's all sorts of different ways you can do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on, is there a better or worse? Is it just preference? What do you think? Sure. I mean, the main reason that you would want to use headphones in the first place is to monitor the audio, which just means that you're, you're listening to it to make sure everything sounds good, right? You have headphones in right now. You're, you're monitoring 
what we're what we're saying. You're hearing what we're saying and you're making sure it's not distorted. You're making sure it's not too quiet. You're making sure it's actually recording, right? Uh, so that's the main reason you would want to have any type of headphones. Now, the difference between which ones to get, it's really up to you, I think. I mean, I have these headphones here. I got these as a gift uh, and, and they work great. Um, so, and they're very comfortable. They're, they're a little pricey. So if you're not trying to break the bank and you already have, you know, AirPods or, you know, whatever you can, you can simply just use those. Uh, if you, if you wanted to get a good middle ground, if you go on Amazon and just type in Sony headphones, I don't recall the model, but they're the standard ones. They're black. They have a a, like a little blue thing on the one side, a little red thing on the other side, indicating left and right. Very easy to notice. I think they're like 99 bucks. They're, they're just kind of a good all around headphone, but gotcha. you can really use whatever you want. And, and the main reason, like I said, you would want to use it is just to make sure that what you're recording sounds good. You wouldn't want to, you know, uh, go through the trouble of booking a guest, rec- you know, having them scheduled, uh, sitting down, rec- talking for an hour, and then not until the guest leaves, you realize all the audio sounds terrible. Why? Because you just didn't take the time to monitor it. Exactly. And it's kind of embarrassing to have to reach back out to that person and be like, hey, would you mind joining me again and saying the exact same thing over again? Like, that's just not a not a fun way to handle things. Let's, uh, let's talk about room design as an audio engineer. I'm sure you've done a lot of like room treatments and figuring out sound and make sure it's not echoey or bouncing around or kind of crazy. Now, this is obviously a little bit different. We're not recording an album. You know, we're, we're not trying to have 10 out of 10 sound quality necessarily, but how can someone set up their room effectively? You know, do they need the sound panels? Do they need a need to put a big rug down or anything like that? What are some like just basic concepts people need to be aware of just to have sound that's that's good enough for for this purpose that's a great question and honestly room um room the sound of your room often plays a bigger role in how your podcast is going to sound more than most gear like if you have a three thousand dollar mic um and you're recording it in a bad sounding room it's going to sound bad right so it doesn't matter the mic you have, you know, it's going, it's not going to sound great in a bad sounding room. So the way to simplify this is most people are going to be recording in their house. I'm in my house, you're in your house, right? So the first step I would do is just evaluate what rooms you have available to you. Most people have a living room, a bedroom, uh, a kitchen, and then from there, who knows, right? Um, But if you just think of those rooms, typical rooms, your, your, just say your kitchen and your living room. I'm going to go for the living room all day, every day. And the reason why is because your kitchen is filled with r- reflective surfaces. It probably has tile, probably has maybe a granite or a marble tabletop uh, countertop. It's probably going to have uh, stainless steel appliances. All those, all those services reflect audio. And, and that's what you don't want. That is the key uh, ingredient here in trying to get a good sounding room. Now your living room, or maybe even your bedroom, maybe you don't want your bed in the shot. So living room is probably better. Uh, a living room, you probably have wall to wall carpeting. If not, you may have an area rug. Uh, you probably have a couch and on that couch, you may have some, some throw blankets or some pillows. All those things are 
porous ab absorbent material, right? So when you speak, you know, when I'm talking into this microphone, my voice is largely going into the microphone, but a lot of it's still passing by the microphone. And then what does it do after that? Well, it hits the wall in front of me and then it bounces back. So if you ever hear somebody uh, with a podcast and it sounds really washed out, it sounds like it's very distant, uh, it sounds echoey, reverberant, right? Well, that's because that they're in a room that has too much reverberant sound and that sound is making it back into the microphone. So the first thing I would do is, is figure out the best room you can record in and then and then just see what it sounds like. Just do a test yourself, do a little sound check with no one there and then play it back and then just take a listen like, hey, uh, listen to it next to Joe Rogan or some other professional podcast that you like and say, hey, does this sound wildly off from this or does it sound kind of close? And if it's wildly off, well, there's a couple of things that you can do from there. Um, one thing is, depending on the room and how much you want to make this permanent, you can try to get some, you know, a duvet cover or some blankets that you're not using, and you can put them up on walls that are maybe off camera. If you're doing an audio only podcast, then, then you can go crazy with this and you can really start to make your room sound good because you don't have to worry about having like odd blankets and all this weird stuff kind of hanging up. Uh, but seriously, that stuff works really well and it's the cheapest thing because you already have it. If you wanted to buy something, you could, uh, the next thing to do that's not too expensive is go on Amazon and just get those moving blankets, you know, those like quilted kind of, uh, moving blankets. So you grab some of those and then you can temporarily drape them over certain things and, and, and try to knock down some of those reflections. And then if you're, if you're a solo podcaster and you're, you're not filming it, I would just go sit in your closet that has all your clothes. Because that's seriously going to be, it sounds funny, but that sound, that's seriously going to be the best sounding place you can have because all of your clothes just kind of awkwardly around your head is going to immediately absorb all that stuff. Um, and you're going to have a very solid sounding uh, dead room sound, which is kind of what you want. So that's kind of the extremes of it. You go from a kitchen, which is very reflective, and then you go to your closet, which has probably almost no reflections. Yeah. I talked to several voice actors a while back and during the pandemic, they couldn't go to the studio. They couldn't go to the video game headquarters or, you know, to work on games or TV shows. And so they would record all their stuff in their closets at home. They, and it's like these multi-million dollar studios, billion dollar studios. And then their voice actors are literally in their closets recording the voiceovers for these, you know, really well-known characters. It's just kind of funny to think about. But then, uh, like in Honduras, every surface is hard and rigid. So, like I lived, I lived there for eight years, and I had to constantly figure out, okay, where do I go? How do I, how do I do this so it sounds good? Because everything is tile and concrete, everything, and like there is no carpet. The, you know, the couches are even kind of hard. Like, <laughs> like everything's just like that. And so, when I would record the podcast, I would again, like you're talking about, I would have blankets everywhere hanging up. I would drape them over everything. And then I built this cardboard box kind of structure and I bought a or bunch a of fort. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, like your kids would build a fort, just kind of build that around you. But then I had this cardboard structure that I would put behind the microphone and I would kind of speak into. And it had 
uh, sound paneling, basically that I bought from Amazon for pretty cheap. You, you know, pay thirty bucks, you get all these little squares that have glue on the back. You just kind of stick them up. And so I would have my like recording box, and I just kind of sat in this thing, and it was hot and claustrophobic, but it sounded good. And so I think there's lots of options that aren't necessarily expensive, but you can still go a long way in making things sound better. And uh, it's exactly what you're saying. Hey, go get some moving blankets. Get get grandma's quilt out of your your closet throw it over a chair next to you. And then uh, that'll make it sound a lot better. Anything else as far as room design, I think background is something to think about. Your background looks good. Hopefully my background looks professional. I think that's another thing is to not have a distracting background. What would, what are your thoughts on that though? As far as like setting up behind you, if it is on video? Yeah. So, I mean, to get a good visual background, uh, you, you probably still want to stick with the simplicity method and, and you want things to not look overly cluttered. I would say your background is pretty close to perfect. You have a very unique texture background, and then you have a shelf that has some items. Uh, you have a picture, you know, you have color, you have things happening that um, are pleasing to the eye, but they're not distracting. Now, if you had a whole shelf and you had, you know, 10,000 knickknacks on it, then it's like, okay, maybe I'm going to doze off and try to figure out what all those knickknacks are. Right. So I would say you definitely want to start simple. Um, and, and probably for most people, the simpler it is, the better, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you probably don't want to go out spending a ton of money to try to make this background happen. But, you know, like I have some shelves there, some, some books, some odds and ends. I have like a little salt lamp and that's it. And, and I would say, you know, if you can fit in, you have a lamp too. So I would say that's a key thing. If you watch any YouTube videos nowadays, that's a popular thing. So have some little mood lighting gives a little bit of, um, you know, atmosphere to the background. Um, and then, you know, other than that, I would say, make sure that you are off of the background, right? So, you know, you want to give, if, if possible, I understand everyone has a different shape room, but you probably want to give yourself a little bit of distance from the background. Uh, so you don't seem like you're blending in like you're 2D, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. And like my camera's got this feature where it kind of blurs out the background mm -hmm. some. Yep. And I think that's that's kind of nice. Let's, let's talk about cameras, though. Are you just using the, the camera on your laptop right now? I'm just using the camera on my laptop right now. Um, I have a fairly new MacBook Pro, and I think the camera looks pretty, pretty decent. Um, for my videos, I use this guy which is a bit overkill. It's a Sony a seven There's no reason, there's no reason to go out and get, get something like that. Um, but when I'm, when I'm doing a YouTube video for my channel, um, I'll, I'll use one of those things. But when I first started my channel, I just used my phone. You know, if you have, if you have an iPhone, if you have a, an Android within, you know, within five years, you, you're probably okay. You know, anything more than that, maybe not. But if, if you can get, um, you know, HD, 1080p or even 4K out of that, that's all you need. That's really it. And you just get a little tripod or something like that and you just kind of post it up there and then you're good. Yeah. My MacBook Pro is kind of old. And so I realized that the camera on it is a little bit not great. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously old, but the latest Mac update, I think it's Ventura makes it where you can use your phone as the webcam. And so right now I am using my iPhone 13 as a camera and I think it looks really good. The last time we spoke, I think you've told me about this. 
I was like, I, I just heard about this somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's a game changer. Like it's because I bought a webcam that's supposedly 1080p, but every time I tested it, like it just looked kind of washed out and it just wasn't great, you know? And to be fair, it was probably like 30 bucks. So it's not like I went out and spent a bunch of money on some quality piece of equipment. But once I could just use my phone, like, oh my gosh, it makes it so easy. And now I've just got my little tripod set up and I'll just slide the phone in. I connect the mic directly into it and we're off to the races. And yeah, that that was a huge thing. So if you have a new-ish iPhone, a 13, especially a 14, I think the quality on it is as good as, as anything else you could, you could use, you know, Unless you have like a brand new MacBook Pro, that works really well too. I think the the biggest point here is that you're again you're you're reducing the friction, right? You're reducing the friction. I mean that that camera I have, it, it looks amazing, but it only looks amazing if you know how to set the ISO, if you know how to do the aperture, um, you know have to work with the frame rate and everything, and then and then and then you have to put a, you know uh, an SD card in there. You have to export it. You need to make sure that you're importing the right. You know, th there's a lot to it. There's a lot of steps that can create a lot of friction. So if you don't want to learn a whole new skill, i.e. photography, videography, you don't have to. You just you just use the phone or, or just use the, the webcam that you have. Exactly. But Justin, this has been great. Any other tips or tricks or just little nuances to kind of get the most out of being able to, you know, sit down and record a podcast. I mean, this is a little bit more, a little bit more technical, but you know, there, for me, there's three pillars of, of getting good sound. And one is going to be the room, which we spoke about, make sure you're in a good sounding room. Two is going to be, um, mic technique. And three is going to be uh, decent quality gear. You don't have to have the best gear as long as those first two steps, you have a good room and using good mic technique. Uh, then you can have an okay mic like this mic. It's an okay mic. It's a, it's a 50, it's a, you know, it's a $50 mic. It's it's $60 mic. Um, I've used the, the shore SM7B, the $400 mic, and it's, I can get good sounds with both. And, and the reason being is, is that third tip is, which is, um, mic technique. And, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but what I would recommend with a mic like this is that you speak into it off access. Meaning if I were going to take, this might be a little loud, but if I was going to take this mic and I'm going to talk in directly like this, right? That's on access. I'm talking directly into it. And even though I have this kind of windscreen, you're probably hearing, especially on words with P, right? pepperoni pizza, you're probably hearing like a lot of what we call plosives, which is the when the air from the P consonant hits the diaphragm of the microphone, and it creates this kind of uh, just sound like it's not it's not your voice. It's just the sound of the diaphragm reacting and it just doesn't sound good. So what I do is I talk into the microphone off access, which is essentially instead of talking directly into it, I just take the microphone. And I literally just put it a couple of degrees off axis. So it's kind of pointing up a little bit and I'm talking not into it, but I'm talking more across the top of it or across the face of it. And that's pretty much it. And you're going to, you're going to clean up a lot of the stuff that you would go back initially, you know, when you go to edit it and say, oh, that sounds really bad. It, you know, it sounds popping. I hear all this plosives and it's just a way to kind of get rid of all of that stuff before editing you know, you just do it live and make sure there's no bad sounds once you get to the editing phase yeah that's something i feel like 
people just don't realize. I didn't know that for a long, long time. And I, I did so many podcast episodes directly into my microphone. And then I would get comments of people like, hey, man, chill out with the P words. Because like that's <laughs> it would just you know have all those plosives. And it is a little bit annoying. It's not like, you know, it's not a game breaking thing where people are like, oh, I'm never going to listen to your show because the P sounds. But again, it just gives you that sense of professionalism. It makes it sound like you know, you know what you're doing. And it's just one little thing to, to increase the overall like value. And there's, there's so much competition out in the podcast world now. Um, you know, you have brands, you have companies, there's, there's a lot of money in the world now. Um, so, you know, any, anything you could do to eke out a little bit more quality, you know, you're going to just, you're going to be better off that way. Exactly. Well, Justin, do you want to talk about your website or your YouTube channel? Like where can people find you online? So I have a website, justincrowdpodcast.com. And I have a YouTube channel, Justin Crowd Podcast, where I um, essentially just help people start and grow podcasts. So um, as since I have a background in audio engineering, a lot of it is technical things like mic technique and, and what kind of gear to buy and how to set the gear up. Um, but there's also stuff on there that's going to help you, um, you know, market your channel, monetize and just grow in general. Awesome. Well, Justin, really appreciate your time. Appreciate being here.